Grace on Fire, episode 68. You're listening to Grace on Fire, home of Grace Nation. It's not just another podcast. It's the voice of a movement. Join now at MyGraceNation.com. MyGraceNation.com. What's up, Grace Nation? I've got the professor for life back on the show after a month-long sabbatical. He's drinking water, he's hydrated, and he's ready to go. What's up, Brian? Oh, it's great to be back, Jonathan. Great to be back with you all, Grace Nation. I'm ready. He's ready. We're not ready. We have no idea what we're doing here. And welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, and I'm your online pastor. My goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose, and today we're talking about how to apply the Bible to business and life, and we're going to teach you how to be be prosperous, generous, teach you to make loads of money, right? Is that what we're doing? No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Though if that was was an accidental uh, product of this, that would be fantastic for everybody. Yeah, if... You know, and that's all we guarantee that if by results of listening to the show that you make a million dollars, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Like if you had a million, somebody gave you a million dollars right now, what would you do? I would not do anything for three to six months (laughs) and I'd. I would acquire as much wisdom as possible so that I wouldn't quickly spend a million dollars. Would you, do you think you would spend 20% of it? I would literally sit, I'm pretty content with where I am in life. I would pay off my house. Um, which would be at this point less than 10, it would be like 20% of it. But the rest of it, I would set up um, means of uh, allowing that to grow. And I would set up a, a foundation to be as generous as possible with it. Really? Yeah, really. Really? Yeah, a million dollars, it could be life-changing if it was handled properly and if it was invested properly for the long term. You're, you're far more responsible than I would. I would go out to Fleming's and buy a steak, like 75 50 dollars $50, $75. And I'd buy a $35 baked potato and whatever else I could spend because I just got a million dollars. Well, that's easy. That's just a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> of course, I'm going to have a little celebration. Well, that's but, what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, come on. That was the most responsible, you know, oh, I would do uh, make all these proper investments. Not me. Well, I've I, actually thought about it because if you want to be ready for that kind of money, you have to have a plan or it just goes through your fingers as quick as you get, acquire it. So you have to actually, again, what kind of person do I need to become? Well, that's the question that we're asking today. Welcome to the show. If you are new to Grace on Fire, my good friend Brian Russell's here back with me. He is the professor, dean of faculty at Asbury Seminary. Is that right, provost? You have so many titles, I can't even keep yeah, up I'm with associate it. associate provost and dean of the School of Urban Ministry and professor of biblical studies. That sounds really incredible. Way to go. Well, listen, this is what we're going to be talking about today because the truth of the matter is, is that unless you have a, a windfall... And unless you have uh, some, you hit the lottery, if you played a lottery, I don't play a lottery, but I know people that do. All of a sudden, you know, you were to drop a load of money in your lap. I don't know what you do. And, and actually, what you would do with that million dollars actually would probably demonstrate a lot about your character. And we want to talk today about how to develop a life of wisdom, how to develop a life of generosity in order that you can set your life up, not to make a million dollars, not to be rich. And and like I said, if it's a byproduct, if something happens to you, you know, what you do with it, the person that you become, all of those sorts of things are important questions 
that we need to address. And so what we're going to do today is we're actually going to take a step back as we're back talking about personal development. And we have this example. And here is the example. I have a dear friend that I've been uh, discipling now for uh, going on a year. And when he's a businessman, he owns his own gym. And he has a number of personal trainers that work with him. And, um, and if you're listening to this, you know who exactly who I'm talking about. But one of the questions that he, or one of the challenges that he had when he and I first started working together was he, he's, he basically got burned out on church. And there was some things that happened. There was some scandals, some, some, some just, you know, bad church stuff. And everybody has bad church stuff that's happened. And so some bad church stuff happened, and he basically stopped going to church. Now, he, he didn't stop being a Christian. He didn't stop believing in Jesus. He didn't stop uh, trying to to live a moral and good life like we, we would think. Uh, but he just stopped, and he had lo- loads of questions. And so one of the things that I asked him to do is I said, look, let's just start with a basic Bible reading program. And let's just start reading what the Bible actually says Let's put away all the questions, all the dogmatic questions, all of the questions about this, that, and the other, and let's just read it for what it says. And so we begin to do that, and we begin to work on some other areas of his life, and eight, nine months later, he's saying, you know, my, I feel like my life has changed. I feel better. I feel, um, and he's talking to me, he says, I'm, I'm just feeling more secure in my faith. I feel like my faith has grown, and it's actually a pretty remarkable thing. And so we're going to be talking about how to do this, and we're going to be talking about how to read the Bible, not just for personal edification, but really the deeper question, which is how to apply it to everyday life for the purpose of transformation. And so Brian and I, we have worked, we have worked, I think we've worked on this outline for an hour, and who knows if we'll even follow it all. Well, that's the fun. That's the I fun mean, of we, the podcaster. Yeah, we, we, yeah we, have a, we have an aim. We, we, we have a goal. If we get to that goal by the end of the show, we'll see what happens. So anyways, we're going to get into this. We're going to start off with a tip of the week, a little bit different. We're not going to go into street theology today, uh, but what you're going to see is that we're going to be talking about basically street theology throughout the show. And then we have uh, in our tip of the week, we're going to talk about six personal development gurus that we are recommending for you to listen to. And these are guys that we have uh, listened to that I wouldn't say that we vetted because it's not really what our goal was, but we, we sat down and said, these are Christians. These are guys that have gone through this and we can listen and learn from them. And then we're going to get into the deeper aspect today of listening to the, what the Bible says with the goal of transformation. And we've got some, some fun examples for you. So hang on as we get into the show today. And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And for our tip of the week today, we are talking about six gurus. I like to call them gurus, but six uh, men, really, who have uh, excelled in the area of personal development. And um, their names, I'm just going to go ahead and give you these names, and then we'll kind of talk about them quickly. The first one is Jim Rohn. The second one is Zig Ziglar. The third one is Dennis Waitley. And then the fourth one, Dave Ramsey. Fifth one, John Maxwell. And the sixth one is Michael Hyatt. So let's get back to the top of uh, this. The first three, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Dennis Waitley. I mean, Brian, these are three guys. Not everyone would know Dennis Waitley, but, and probably not Jim Rohn, but Zig Ziglar obviously is the one that stands out. But why are these three guys, you know, why? what, what made them so successful? Well, what made them successful is they, they're really from a previous generation. Of those three, only Dennis Waitley is still living, and he's, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's well advanced in his years now. But these were guys that would have kind of come of age in the 1960s, uh, 1970s, and then became 
as popular as they were going to be in really the 80s and the 90s and then beginning to wind down. And what they were able to do is they were able to, these were all successful business people, um, uh, especially Roan and Ziegler were actually salesmen who were uh, had phenomenal success and then basically were invited then to speak to others about how to replicate that. So they were persons who were Christians, who used Christian principles and talked in really down-home, easy-to-understand language that helped people grow in their business and their life while at the same time kind of spinning in uh, Christian ideals. Uh, Dennis Waitley, a little bit different. He's a, he's a Christian man as well, but he grew up, he was a top gun, so he came out of a military background, and he has a PhD in psychology, and his area of research was kind of on mindset. So part of his career, he was the mental coach for the U.S. Olympic team, for example, and helped athletes to prepare for success and particularly how to deal with challenges. So he's done a lot of research. His most famous program is called The Psychology of Winning, where he talks about attitudes and the in the practices and habits that you can do to make sure you're at your best. Again, all three of these persons, previous generation, brought Christian values to their work to help people, essentially what we'd call to be wise in their lives, in their thoughts, the way they do business, the way they handle uh, wealth. Okay, and so... So Jim, Zig, and Dennis, these guys are from a previous generation. And then obviously we have the guys that we know today, Dave Ramsey, John Maxwell, and Michael Hyatt. Now, Dave Ramsey is is really well known for personal finance. And and so I I'm, I mean we could talk about him, but he's definitely somebody that we could listen to. John Maxwell is somebody that uh, I've I've benefited from just recently. In fact, I think in a, a just a few episodes ago, I actually gave a recommendation on him. And part of my Gen X rebellious background was to say I don't want to listen to any of these guys. But now that I'm older, I said, well, actually, they have good things to say. <laughs> when the students ready, the teachers appear. Yes, that's excellent. Is that a haiku? Maybe, but I don't we know it goes back to Confucius, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, it, that sounded very Asian in its in its orientation there. And then Michael Hyatt, actually, and I like Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt was the CEO of Thomas Nelson, and so he definitely has that publishing background. But one of the things I, I've really loved about Michael is how much he gives away for free. Because if you go to his blog, his podcast, and now he's doing this video, I mean, he gives so much stuff away that it's unbelievable the amount of of benefit and i i in part of my own personal development that i've been working on and sort of working on myself over the last two years michael was the place where i started and um you can go onto his website michaelhyatt.com and listen to all of his podcasts they're all there and the truth of the matter is is they were all really good and sometimes it was more practical stuff on you know how to you know excel at social media and then other times it was really deep stuff where he was talking about some of the things that he had to do and grow. So these are the six names I recommend. We didn't talk much about Jim Rohn because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jim Rohn here in the second part of the show. But um, I highly recommend these. And you know the question I have, Brian, one of the questions that used to keep me, and I, it, both of you and I have the same story. And the same story is this. We both came out of fundamentalism, essentially. Yes. And so for a person that's coming out of fundamentalism and they hear these guys and they have some kind of doubt what would you say to that person yeah and that's really a hard question because i even when i was growing up i heard zig ziglar and it bothered me because he was just talking about business and ways to become more successful and part of my fundamentalism is i always thought that i was supposed to love jesus first 
and that whole business about money and wealth, that was bad stuff. So I didn't understand how this person was mixing it. So I, I would simply say this, um, you need to have, you need to be open to the possibility and just listen again, listen to everything critically, but ask yourself, does this actually help me to be a better follower of Jesus, not just in my pew life, but in my home life, in the way I conduct myself at work or in business outside the home and what and that's what these all these these gentlemen these are all men there are uh, there are examples of, of women we don't have any listed here um like we could say mel robbins would be an example of a of a female per, uh, that we could listen to so i don't want to get the impression this is all just men but these gentlemen that we just listed are persons that help us to live wisely so go and read proverbs that would be a great place to, to read and then read proverbs realizing that a lot of the things in proverbs are nuts and bolts how do i communicate how do I get ahead in my business? How do I treat people justly? How do I speak in ways that are helpful? And, that, and when you find out that Proverbs is doing that, you recognize that in the Bible, there's this wisdom. And these guys are essentially modern wisdom teachers, informed by Christian values, informed by observing how the world works and putting those things together in ways that we can live authentically and in ways that we can think about. This helps us to love our neighbor better. Yeah, and we should have talked about that, and, and we're going to get into into the the feature presentation. But thank you for for at least putting that into context, because ultimately, what we are talking about is working on yourself in order to love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor if you can't love yourself. And so often, I think that the the, the critical underlining problem that keeps people from working on themselves is they don't love themselves. Yeah, we used to talk about this when. You know, my background is a, is a Wesleyan. Uh, we talk about personal holiness a lot. And a lot of times we talk about believers end up being the frozen chosen because of the stuff on the inside. They don't honestly love themselves. So God's love has problems breaking in and then it becomes impossible then becomes out of our own brokenness to really love other people authentically. We don't know how we do it in needy ways or in ways that actually end up dishonoring other people. Yeah, and, and and so a simple way of saying this: you cannot possibly love your neighbor until you love yourself. Yes, and you can't uh, if you don't give yourself permission to work on yourself because you feel like, well, no, all your personal devotion is to God. That you can't make sense of what Jesus is actually teaching. And so, so this is helpful. This is our tip of the week. That really beginning, if you're looking for a place to start, there's loads of material out there that's available. Some of it's for free. Some of it is for nominal cost. And we're going to get into this show a little bit now into our feature presentation and give some practical examples. But the place that we want to start is actually how to read the Bible and to apply it to business and to life. And now it's time for our feature presentation. So one of the most recent phenomenons that's occurred in the last, I'd say, 15, 20 years, and it actually goes further back even to the 70s, but it's this whole idea of prosperity gospel. And so many evangelicals, they will criticize prosperity gospel people um, because they say, well, it just seems like it's a get rich quick scheme uh, or they don't uh, they criticize prosperity people because they only teach half the Bible. And, and I've heard all of these different kinds of things. And what it can do, in my opinion, is that it can actually create a, a skewed perception of what the, what the Bible actually talks about in terms of prosperous living. And so how, you know, oh, I actually already said it, but Brian, 
what's the difference between biblical wisdom thriving in life and prosperity gospel? I would say in some ways it's the idea of magic. Like there's a magic bullet. If I just say these words, if uh, I say just say this prayer that God is going to bless me abundantly and I'm going to avoid all the pain that other people have. So it ends up being like a secret. And so what you might say is it's um, it's a, 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 a get-rich-quick scheme that involves very little on, on you as a person other than just having faith and believing it's going to be true and visualizing it. So it's a, it's a get-rich-quick scheme that uses Christian language when, in fact, all it really is is giving false hope to people. In other words, the reason you're impoverished might not be habits and again it's it's that you don't have you're not visualizing the right thing so if i'm poor what i should be doing is visualizing all this money that god wants to bless me with because he loves me so much but but the the real sham of it is that that's all they say yeah and it ends up being very emotional and gets people uh, uh fired up and all times the only person ends up being prosperous is actually the pastor right and, and there's a kind of a cult-like thing built in so often the one person who has the most wealth ironically ends up being the pastor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we, and we've seen plenty of examples of that in it so we don't need to go in there because i think it's just i don't i don't want to go in and, and name names and that sort of no. thing because i think that's irrelevant because i think what we're talking about though is the bible does talk about prosperity yes but it's not prosperity necessarily economically yeah, and that can be a byproduct, and this is important. It's it's is, is that when we're when what we want to talk about with personal development isn't a get rich quick scheme. It's looking at biblical wisdom to ask ourselves how can we thrive. And again, we don't want to be naive and say there's not challenges because if the whole world goes into a depression, we're going to have challenges really regardless of faith, right? So our faith is going to sustain us, but we're looking for a faith that informs uh, what we believe. So. And a lot of times we stop there, right? We just talk about, like, I can say the creed on Sunday, or maybe I can say the Lord's Prayer from memory. That's good information. That may involve me loving God. But what the Bible wants to do is give us a wisdom that seeps into our lives that helps us to do what? Love our neighbor as ourselves, as we've talked. And so how does the scripture help me to be prosperous, uh, you know, nuts and bolts in my relationship with my spouse and my wife or her relationship with me? How does scripture help me to be a better father? How does scripture help me to coach? I used to coach soccer, and I always wanted to be a good example. How does it help me to be a better coach? How does it help me in my business practices and my leadership practices? What does it mean for me to lead Christianly? What does it mean for me to make money Christianly? Because ultimately, God wants to transform us to be witnesses to him. And here's the good news for our readers. You know, we we don't have, I mean, most aren't pastors. So we want to help people. Uh, to be prosperous in what they do as a way ultimately of witnessing and testifying to the greatness of King Jesus. Yeah, and in, in the way that they can begin witnessing and testifying to King Jesus, I mean, one of the ways is they need to to learn how yeah. to read the Bible itself. Now, so so often when I um when I meet Christians, uh, particularly intelligent Christians, you know, I'm talking about people. I mean, yeah, there are dumb Christians, I guess, by implication of what I just said, right? Yeah, and praise God for them. I, I don't know that that's going to a rabbit trail. Maybe, maybe just say engaged Christians, persons that are actually trying to read and gain knowledge and learn things about the faith. Sure, right. That's that's what I was trying to say on Grace Nation as I apply grace to myself and my verbal faux pas. So anyhow, <laughs> and mine were unengaged Christians. Yeah. Same thing, same I've, problem. Well, I've run into unengaged Christians, so that, that's the problem, right? And I want to get you engaged because, again, 
the Bible is so full of content, and yes, it, it there is some some time distance in its language that we have to overcome, and we need to learn how to overcome. And so, um, I've got a couple examples here that I want to share. But what I want to do is I want to go back for a moment and just say and set this up because one of the guys that we talked about in our tip of the week was Jim Rome. Now you actually turned me on to Jim Rome, and um, you know when we when you and I first sat down, we started talking about personal development, which I think was over a year and a half ago. Yes. We've been talking about this, so over a year and a half ago, you're like, "Yeah, I've been listening to Jim Rome." I was like, "Jim, who?" And I thought, what, what is Brian getting into? I was actually worried about your soul for a little while, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, just as your friend. Um, well, we shared stuff, so you needed to be worried sometimes. Yeah, I, I, not that I was worried that she'd ever become a apostate or weirdo, but I was just like, what is this guy listening to? So I went and downloaded uh, Jim Rome, And I, I'm, I'm becoming his disciple. And Jim, I'm going to set this up because Jim is a businessman. He's accomplished. Uh, he's no longer alive, so he's 20th century, but he's a phenomenal communicator. But what caught my attention, and this is what we were talking about on the phone the other day, what caught my attention was how seamlessly he would bring Bible illustration, illustrations into the principles of personal development that he was uh, teaching on. And it's hard to know whether he worked on the principle and then went to the Bible for an illustration, or if he was reading the Bible and he made an observation that informed the principle. It's because that's how seamless it is. And so I want to set this up that way because what Jim Rohn does is he's he's a master teacher, um, excellent in personal development, covers a wide variety of areas, and um, but he he keeps bringing in the Bible which is awesome. So let me play this. This this came from, and, and let me just pull this up. This came from his, um, his seminar on uh, take charge of your life, which I, I love that. I thought that was cool. Uh, that's what I want to do. I want to take charge of my life. And so he's talking about the art of persuasion and communication. So here's the first clip. And what this clip will do is it will just set up what he's talking about. And then I have two other clips that actually give the biblical illustration. So here's the first one. It's easy if you're not careful to load your presentation with a lot of so what's. Mr. Schof, who only went to the eighth grade in school, but he gave me the classic point to ponder here when I was 25 years old. And it was put in such simple terms, I've never forgotten it. Let me put it in those same terms for you. Here's what he said. Learn to express, not impress. So that's the first one. So that's the first clip. So he's talking about, in context persuasion and presentation and he gives this principle learn to um uh impress not express to express not or, impress. yeah thank you my yes. dyslexia uh to express not impress and, and that's a great word right use simple language or like john wesley say plain truth for plain people not insulting that's how they used to talk in the 18th century just mean to talk with street theology street language right and I actually think that the more, and this is where you and I run into problems, because we're technicians, we're biblical technicians, and we have all of this language that we use, and then we start talking in our technical terms, and then we actually pass that on to people, and I'm really trying not to do that anymore because of this fact right here. Yeah, it's, it's so good because I know the worst compliment I ever got when I was preaching in the past was somebody heard me preach and they said, Wow, you're really smart. Yeah. But that's called impress, 
not express. Exactly. It's better for not people not to think so highly of us, but rather to hear the message and its transforming power. And, and Ron is so is just a master of language. If you get to that place where someone is saying how smart you are, then they have they've totally missed everything. Someone actually said that to me the other day, and I was extraordinarily disappointed in myself because I realized what you just said. And I think that's a, I think right there, there's a little bit of personal development, but at least self-awareness that says, hey, if this is what's happening, you've got to find a better way to communicate. So Roan, here's the second clip. So now Roan's talking about this, and now he pulls from St. Paul. Now listen to what he does. One of the greatest communicators of all time, Paul, apostle of early Christian history didn't have any problem talking to sinners because he claimed to be chief sinner. Wow, what an identification point. Do you think sinners would listen to chief sinner? Of course. He said, tell me about being a sinner. I'm number one sinner. Got the plaque on the wall. What a way to begin, right, if he's talking to sinners. I love that. I absolutely love that clip. Now, when I first heard that, I'm thinking, wow, Paul, chief of sinners, I never thought of it. Wow, Paul is putting a plaque on the wall so now he can connect with everybody. Yeah, and, and that's a great insight, right? Because in seminary, we would talk about what that means, or even when we would do the Lord's Supper, we think, yeah, if I take communion first and I'm the pastor, that means I'm the chief of all sinners, and I'm illustrating that, but we never say that. Um, in, 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 instead, uh, it's using it's back to that principle. This All these things help us to love our neighbor better. Right? Do I love my neighbor enough to use words that express, not just impress. So here's the final clip. So the final clip is from Jesus. I love these clips, by the way. These are awesome. Aren't they? I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's amazing. I love how this thing works. And the technical aspect of this, by the way, is I'm using Audible. And you can go, and as you're listening, they have a little recording button. You hit clip, and it will take you and add a clip together. So here's the third one. All right, so this is Jesus in the call of the disciples um, that's you, Peter, James, and John, um, at the very beginning. So here we go. Recruit, and if you keep insisting on saying recruit to fishermen, we call you naive. You gotta change your vocabulary. He said, I now wish to teach you how to become fishermen. Now see, they understood that language. He said, winning people is a lot like fishing. Now see, they understood that story. If it's like fishing, we can figure it out. Here's the next clue to identification. So you get the idea. I mean, you've get you see here's here's Jim. He's a businessman, he's a Christian, and somehow he has been able to interweave these principles and his knowledge of the Bible together so where it just makes plain sense. Now, how do you learn that? You learn it by being intentional. Yeah, you learn it by bringing to the Bible not just problems that you think you're supposed to bring to the Bible. Now, now, for example, and there's nothing wrong with this per se, but you can come to the Bible and just basically ask, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about salvation? What does this teach me about sin? All the different, what we'd call these theological issues. And a lot of academic seminary teaching tries to read the Bible that way just so we can understand doctrine better. But that's part of it. It's love God. And so all those things, are, and we're not saying anything's wrong with that because we have the, the foundations of the faith involve us learning the right things to confess and to believe. 
But the other, but the part that we miss sometimes is we can substitute that, substitute kind of an objective, brain-centered way of approaching religion for a dynamic moment-by-moment relationship with God in which the scripture informs not just what I think about deep theological truths, but how I, again, get back to the nuts and bolts, basics of life. So the key thing to do is to change your questions. You change your questions, you change your life. The quality of your insights are rooted back to the quality of your questions. Just like a surgeon has to use certain kind of instruments or a a carpenter uses certain kind of tools, we have to bring a different set of questions to the Bible. And so what's Roan doing? Roan is reading the Bible out of his life experiences. Again, that's not the only way to read the Bible, but Roan is, 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 is thinking, how does this text apply? So how, does, how, do I, how can I be a better communicator? How can I learn to, be, to honor people better? Uh, what insights from the scripture today can I move into my life uh, right now? And so it's what kind of person do I need to become? So he's reading the Bible not just to learn information about God, but he's reading the Bible for transformation so it comes out in his life so that he's loving God and loving his neighbor. And he's assuming that the Bible wants to say those things to us. Yeah, and I, so yesterday at church, I've been introducing a new series and I call it Ambassador. And this series of Ambassador that I'm doing at Redeemer is, it, it's twofold. One, it's it's designed to begin, to begin to think about how do we go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ but number two, realizing that we're not talking about just going out and persuading and giving presentations, but living lives in such to such a degree that people see something fundamentally different. Now, that's harder than it actually sounds, but maybe not so. So I have I you and I were talking, and this is this is just we're, we are now just following the rabbits, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the rabbit: you and I were talking about um, a Pakistani gentleman. Tell us about the situation that he was in. Yeah, my uh, my daughter at her high school has a lot of friends from other faiths. She's in an international baccalaureate program, and we were going to the SAT, and and uh, this uh, woman's family's from Pakistan. They're 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 practicing Muslims here in the United States, and he works at a car dealership selling cars, and he he lives in a, in a predominantly uh, Latino part of Orlando. So he has a problem with communication because he has an a Pakistani accent. And he's trying to speak some Spanish and English, and the customers t- tend to gravitate towards the the Spanish speaking salesman. So he's got that disadvantage. And then the other thing is because of Islamic faith, and it's fun, and the, this my daughter's friend was trying to witness to me as a Muslim uh, talking about um, unjust earnings. A lot of the car salesmen are the classic car salesmen. They do the bait and switch. They play games with. Uh, financial numbers to try to, and, and he doesn't do that. He never teaches customers. He tries to negotiate honorably in a way that he thinks honors his God. And so that's, and, and so I came back and I said, you know, well, Judaism and Christianity also use the Old Testament and they have the same kind of thing about not having dishonest scale. So it gets back, I think the issue is, it's, is there a Christian ethic, right? So can I read the Bible in a way that helps me to learn how to negotiate and make money in a way that honors God as yeah, a witness. Yeah, and so I love that story for two reasons. One, because it, it actually was demonstrating, so kudos to you, by the way. I'm just gonna, you know, he praises on to you for just a moment, but I think it's a great example of doing two things. One, witnessing faith, building a bridge with a Muslim, 
of saying, oh, interesting, you have this connection too. I mean, that we can, we can share that experience of trying to do business in an ethical way. So that's the first thing uh, that comes out to me. But the second thing that goes deeper is, is how are we making decisions in business, whether it's in business, whether it's in family, whether it's in home, being informed by what we read in scripture. Now, there is a presupposition here, uh, which is a big word for assumption, which is another big word, which we think you should do this. And that is this, you're reading the Bible. So there, the, the practical aspect of this is that you're reading the Bible, which is what I was trying to encourage my friend to do at the very beginning. Because what happens is, I think, is that people, they don't read the Bible for themselves. They hear all of the stuff coming out from pastors. And, and pastors, being a pastor, I, I have a heart for pastors, so I'm not going to beat up pastors. No. But we have a limited time. We have an agenda that we're trying to work. And so we can't give all the information. It's not even our job to do that. Our job is to teach. And we usually teach out of need that we see, if we're, if we're being honest. Um, or, we, uh, or even worse, we teach out of what we know, uh, which happens a lot too. But... The problem is, is that we can't teach everything. And so as Christians, we would expect you to do what, you know, really the Protestant Reformation was about, which was reading the Bible for yourself or sola scriptura. So that gets down to this illustration that you and I were talking about at the show, uh, was this, was Jesus washing people's feet. Let's use this as an example. So we open up the Bible and said, okay, I need to read, you know, Brian and Jonathan, they've been preaching, we got to read the Bible. So I open up the Bible and Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. How would we unpack that? In a, in a typical church setting? Yeah. Let's, in typical, and then what we're trying to do. Yeah, in a typical church setting, that gets talked about how Jesus becomes the model of, of servanthood, and so Christian leaders need to be servants first. That's the typical takeaway there. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need to learn to serve the people that they're leading. Yeah, and so service then becomes, okay, well, I'll volunteer a few hours at my church. Yeah, and so it's, and it's a that's being, not bad. It isn't bad, and it's it's but it's an in the walls. It's a bifurcation of life. There's my church life, and then there's the other hundreds of hours that I spend when I'm not in church, and it, and it separates those things. And we think of Jesus's model within the church context, right? But let's blow that out now, yes, because we want to blow that out to business owners, and the questions then become like, okay, well, how do I serve my customers? Yeah, and you know, and we can even use it. We mentioned Zig Ziglar, and Jim Rohn actually quotes him sometimes. Zig had this um, saying; it's one of his most popular sayings. You can have anything you want out of life, as long as you help enough other people get what they want. And underneath that was the takeaway: I need to be the servant of all. And so the the key of business, and Jesus says, uh, you know, the greatest one's going to be the servant. I've not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Uh, he washes his disciples' feet. So the, the takeaway is we need to think about everything that we do in our lives out of that context of servanthood, washing. So what would it mean to figuratively wash my customer's feet if I'm a businessman? In other words, how can I use my product that I'm selling as something that can actually genuinely, authentically help someone? Uh, how can I see my the way I treat my employees as an act of service? Uh, how can I uh, see um, the way I interact with other members of my family as service? So service isn't just church, it's everything. 
And I see that as a practice that I can, a habit that I can begin to put into my life that's going to lead me to some substantive success. There's no necessary guarantee of dollars at the end of that, but that's how I live as a Christian, that I see what I do, not just in economic terms, but in how many people can I serve with this? Yeah. And now let me ask you a question here, because this is a couple of things that came out as I was listening to you, because I think that sometimes when we think of the word service that we hear sacrifice, and then when we think sacrifice, we think pain, and then when we think pain, oh, this is something I just have to do to endure. But is that what Jesus had in mind? No, what Jesus is ultimately thinking about is the key to life is to be other-centered. Okay. Because ultimately, their pain is going to be part of life. Yeah. But the question is, are you more likely to have pain if by only focusing on yourself or are you more likely to have pain by focusing on others and so in what kind of pain are you trying to bring on yourself in the in the, the bible's highest vision is that we're to be other centered which means you know sometimes that may bite you and bite you in the in the foot in some ways that brings things back but um other times um um the, the idea is that long term, that's going to be the ultimate greatest good is to, to live a life for other people. And that's what's embedded in scripture. And so business relationships, um, what instead of just if seeing business as a way that I can maximize profit just for myself, for my family and sort of selfishly hurt, uh, hoard that, what if I see my business as, again, service, servant to others? I'm other-centered. I want my customers have to have a fantastic experience and to be glad they interacted. Uh, I want to have employees that can make as much money as possible so it blesses their families and not just mine. So if we're all out to actually be agents of blessings to others, serving others, presumably that also comes back our way. Instead of everybody just being, I'm in this for myself, I'm going to be selfish, I'm going to hoard, that's where problems happen. So this is a way of actually blessing the world, in some ways reflecting who God is, because God blesses us unconditionally. Right? What does God get out of that? Okay, so... And, and I love that because what we did was we took just an example. We took a story that was in the Bible and we just blew it out and and began to to apply this thing in so many different ways. And, and I want to say this before we get too far off onto just what it means to serve, because that's not the point of the show, but it's a good illustration of taking what Scripture has and applying it to a broad area of life. And there's so much of it. And so it's as if that we have, and I wish that, um, I really see this more and more, but I wish that um, Christians had this understanding of just what the rich treasure the Bible is, and that it's, it's, it's packed full of just practical life experiences, incredible stories um, of what not to do in so many ways. Um, it's, it's not just didactic teaching, in other words, and by didactic, it's passing information down that you're just simply to absorb uh, but it's giving it's entering into the story of what's taking place in everyday life it's, it's giving us categories because yeah. the, the problem would be the bible was written thousands of years ago there's different economic systems most people were just essentially poor farmers in many ways and so if the bible would have been overly specific and we wouldn't be able to apply it as easy so it does drill down and give us some specific things but a lot of times it's broad warnings it, and we have to then think about how does this manifest itself in the situation that I'm living out right now? And, and, that's, and that's what we want to read. By, the scripture skillfully assuming that God wants to speak a word to us today and bring your greatest problems to the scripture. Now, there may not be an instant 
solution, like do exactly this in the Bible, but the Bible's going to take your problem and answer the questions that it's trying to answer. And, and the, the, the testimony of the folks that have read the Bible through the years is that the Bible ultimately does speak to our deepest needs. That's right. And so let's just say, for example, a person is having a problem with an employee, yeah. okay, uh, which is the situation that most full-time people face. They have an annoying colleague, uh, or if they're a business owner, they have an employee that's not, uh, you know, living up to the expectations, um, or they're they're creating stress or conflict, whatever it is. You know, maybe a question that we ask is, how is the text, whatever we're reading, informing that problem that we're facing? Is that a legitimate question? That, that's an absolutely legitimate question because it gets down to that question: How do I love this person? Yeah. Okay, and so what would be? So maybe the most loving thing that you could do for that person, maybe, yes, you get rid of them. That could be a personal option because they need to grow. Confront the person, letting them know what the problems are. Uh, what are some of the other options? Well some, well, some of the other options are to learn how to, um, to, to, to speak better because maybe the issue ultimately is a communication one. You can't, you find the person annoying because you're just talking past each other. So maybe part of like even using, going back to the Jim Rohn clip that you you play, what's the, what's the equivalent of, of talk using fisher fisherman language and to the person you're talking with maybe you need to uh, learn how to love that person better by finding something in common so you can have a real conversation yeah so it, it's just simple things like that but that can actually um go to or actually could yield profound results and so um as you know on the show i'm always trying to uh, talk up everything perfect about the anglican church which by the way tongue-in-cheek when i said that but i did come across an incredible uh insight and this, this is, is really good this is the original what would jesus do which obviously wwjd is like oh that's so shallow but listen to what he actually said so this is put into a context of living the christian life in avoiding the worldliness, avoiding temptations and, and doing evil. And the, the truth is, is that in the context of business, the subtle temptation to commit evil is there every single day. I can just cheat my customer a little bit, or I can bend the rule here, or I can do this. I mean, it's, it's subtle um, and it's there and it faces everybody. You know, or I can, you know, shave off here or there. The ethical dilemmas, in other words, that business are faced. So this was the question that W.H. Uh, Griffith Thomas wrote. And W.H. Griffith Thomas was a Anglican theologian. And this is what he writes. He says this. He says, it is possible then to settle these doubtful questions. Um, it is possible to be on guard against these influences, which are just on the borderlines between good and evil. We believe it is not only possible... Um, but as necessary as it is possible. One simple question earnestly and prayerfully asked will settle 95% of these problems without further difficulty. I absolutely love that uh, assurance that he has and that he actually put a percentage on there, 95%. But this is what he writes. He says, what would the Lord Jesus have me to do? Now, what a profound question. Yes. It is a what would Jesus do, but it's actually a little bit better, and it more clearly states, what would the Lord Jesus have me to do? And then the second question, or to put it another way, can I ask his sanction and his blessing on the particular thing before me? Now, that I thought was the critical piece of that, because what it's actually doing is it's actually intentionally putting the Lord Jesus Christ even over our business decisions, personal decisions and everything. 
Yeah, it gets in, it gets back to what kind of person am I? Is this a so it's not just making a decision of something outside of myself, but it's actually bringing in my own faith. And I claim to be a follower of Jesus, and so I need to be asking, what would my Lord and Savior would? Can I imagine Jesus doing the same thing and giving me the blessing? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah, so I think the benefit, and, and I think we could just wrap up this conversation today, and maybe you could say it this way, um, but when we're talking about applying the Bible to business and life, what we're talking about is intersecting our lives with the Bible, yes, and then also allowing the Bible to intersect with our lives. And the only way to intersect the, with the, the Bible is that we get in and we read it, but then again, stop getting so caught up in all the dogmatic aspects of it and simply seeing what's taking place. Yeah, one of my favorite prayers is, is really simple. It's simply this. It's, it's this. Uh, Lord, astonish me today with what I find in the Bible. Has he just, that's amazing. Pray to be astonished. Yeah. And that's going to intersect with your life. And then always, what kind of person do I need to become to live out this Bible passage with integrity? Yeah. So I want it to come back to me. It's not just what do I want to, it's not just information. It's, it's what I, I want to be transformed. What, what, what kind of person do I need to become to be able to live this out with integrity? And I think that to kind of wrap it up here is that when we're talking about, we're talking about Christian personal development, we're really talking about what is the vision of the Bible ultimately. And the vision of the Bible is for us to become Christ-like. And we're not talking about floating on clouds. We're not talking about uh, living perfect lives, but we're talking about what you, where we, where we ended up, which is talking about serving other people, loving God and loving people. And so, and Brian, thanks for being on the show today. And I think this was really helpful because I think it brought some clarity into what we're talking about with personal development. No, we're not talking about prosperity gospel. No, we're not talking about getting rich. And if those things are byproducts of what happens, great. But what we are talking about is learning how uh, to become a profound person of living a wise and generous life. Yes. And the only the way that we can do that is really beginning to intersect with what the Bible has to teach for us. And that actually brings us to the end of the show. And uh, for those of you listening, thank you so much for being here today. And as always, all of these notes will be on uh, the website. So you can go to MyGraceNationGOF68. Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit MyGraceNation.com.